This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Open your Bibles, as you would, to the book of Jude. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoke before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in this last in the last times who should walk after their ungodly lust these be they who se- who separate themselves sensual having not the spirit but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith and remember that right there we're going to get into that more later praying in the holy ghost keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, uh, hating even the garment uh, uh, spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that it, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory uh, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So before we get into this passage we just read, I've got a bunch of other passages I want to look at. And they're all introduction, and I'm not going to have you turn to them. The first thing I want to talk about or look at here in preparation is before Christ's return, there will be perilous times. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous times are not times we really want to go through. Uh, We're living in those times today. It would be hard to think of a time in at least my 79 years where we were in more perilous times than we are right now. There are riots in the street. They've even come to Lenore just once that I know of, and it didn't last very long, but they had a demonstration over at Walmart a couple of weeks ago. Crime is on the rise across this nation because they're defunding our police. Minneapolis, I think it is, has voted to get rid of their police department. How stupid can you get? That's going to make the times even more perilous. There's the COVID-19 that's got a lot of people scared, and I don't blame them. But I hope when we get through tonight, you're not as scared. But I don't blame them. I understand. One of the most dangerous places that you can be today in America is in a mother's womb. In, in, since Roe vs. Wade uh, uh, was passed or approved or whatever, it wasn't passed really, but since it was made law, I guess you could say, since then they have killed more people in those short few years than they killed Baptists during the Dark Ages, and they killed 50 to 60 million of us there. I mean, that's a murderous thing. We live in perilous times. Christians are seeing more and more persecution and more and more attacks. I mean, there was a Baptist church up in, I think it was New York, that that, uh, the Black Lives Matter went in there and harassed them and and got in their faces and, and harassed children and everything else in that church. It's going to get worse, folks. It is. That's a warning, and that's not an encouraging thing, but I want you to be encouraged by tonight's message 
but I want you to know what's going on. And we could go on and on and on with more things that show that we're in perilous times. We don't know exactly when Christ's coming back. I want to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 36 to 39. It says, But that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not, uh, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. You know, they continued just an ordinary life until the first raindrop fell. Could you imagine what probably happened then when that rain started falling? But they just went on like everything was the same as it always was. And, and, and to a certain degree, we should do that. But we should also realize the seriousness of things that are in the world we live in. We don't live in a place that loves God. There's no place on this earth, nation-wise, that loves God. There are some that are more godly than others, but there's none of them that really love God. They had no idea, like I say, until that first drop of rain came. Men's minds were totally evil in those days. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the way people thought. It's the way people think today. Uh, you know, you got to understand that word evil doesn't mean what we sometimes think it does. We'll deal with that a little bit later. Their evil wickedness abounded everywhere. Does it not abound everywhere today? It sure does. Wickedness is the departure from divine law. I looked up dictionary, and that's what it is. It's a departure from uh, from divine law. Well, of course, this this includes all the things we're seeing: homosexuality, abortion, and the riots, and 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 all those types of things. It includes those things. But let me tell you something else, folks: that we as Christians better get our hands heads around. It includes Christians who do God's, God's or try to do God's work in ways that are contrary to the Word of God. That's wicked, also. I was talking to Tom uh, just, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I was talking about uh, in uh, in uh, uh, Second Chronicles that says that we're, we're to turn from our wicked ways. Well, wicked doesn't mean uh, abortion and adultery and all that kind of stuff. Wicked means anything that's contrary to the law of God. And we as Christians need to turn from our wicked ways and get back doing things God's way. Their minds were focused on evil continually. And that word continually uh, means every day. doesn't mean a lot of times. It means every day. That's what their mind was on. However, the fact that we don't know when he's coming back shouldn't let it be a surprise to us as Christians. First Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child. 
and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Now that's an encouraging verse to me. We don't need to be told about the, the, the times and the seasons. Why? We have the answers right here. We have the warnings. We know what we're looking for. So we don't need to be told. They don't have to tell us that the time is coming. We can read our Bible and look around us and see that, our, that the time is coming. People who are willing to give up a little bit of freedom to gain peace and security are fools. Benjamin Franklin is purported to have said something like this. Someone who gives up a little bit of freedom for security will have neither. You won't have peace, you won't have security, you won't have freedom. And, and that's what they're trying to do to us today, folks. All of this stuff, I mean, we can, we can look at, at the riots and, and, the, and the, the abortions and the, and the virus and everything. All of these things are being played together to try and destroy this nation. I'm not saying they're not serious, but we need to realize what they're trying to do. And they're trying to overthrow this, this nation. The world walks in darkness, and they don't see what's coming. And it tells us in this passage that I just read that there's no escape for them. The only hope they have is us getting the gospel to them. And if we don't do it, nobody else will. But because we have the scriptures, it doesn't sneak up on us like a thief. We know what's coming, and we should be preparing for it. In spite of all of the things that are going on, I've titled this message, A Time for Rejoicing. And we should be rejoicing. When we read the Bible, we see that there were special times in in Bible history that were different from the others. They were great times when great things happened. I think of when the children of Israel came out out uh, out of Egypt. And many of those times were, were uh, preceded by perilous times and by persecution. So do we think it should be any different in our times? I don't think so. We should expect persecution. The Bible says those that will live godly shall suffer persecution. And the closer we get to the end and the more people turn against God openly, the more persecution we're going to see. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given us a spirit of power. That means no matter how bad things get, God gives us the strength to stand where we should stand. Do we always use it? No. We should, though, but the power's there. He's given us that spirit. He's given us a, a spirit of love, and that love should, should be visible in our lives. That love, I mean, folks, as much as I don't like some of the left-wing politicians, and I'm not going to name names, you can put your own names in there, much as I don't like them, I'm still obligated to love them. I'm not obligated to let them get away with what, they can, what they're doing if I can stop them, but I'm to love them. I mean, if you're raising your children, you love them, you don't let them do everything they want. You correct them because you love them. But, but, but we have a spirit of love. 
and a sound mind. Now, a sound mind, I could go on all night on what a sound mind is and how we should have a sound mind. Let me just sum it up like this. A sound mind is controlled by the precepts of God and not by the circumstances under which we live. Folks, a long time ago, a long time ago, I learned that it doesn't do me any good to fret over things. It doesn't do me any good to worry about things. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. And if I'll do my best to follow his principles, he'll take care of me. I wasn't saved until I was 17, but there are 17 years before that that he took care of me. Uh, there are some things that, that happened in my life that could have killed me, several of them. I mean, another half a step when I fell off the typewriter and broke my wrist. And I had a spike about this long stuck right in my head. God's taking care of me. And he'll take care of you. He'll take care of you through all the stuff we're going through right now. I mean, I'm not going to sit around and not be prepared to protect my family if somebody comes down high, bright, and drive and decides because we're Christians they're going to take on our house. I'm going to be prepared for it. But I'm not going to be worried about it. Now, all of that was just introduction. The apostles of Christ told us what to expect just before the end times. And that's what it says in our passage here. They warned us that there would be those who separate themselves. Now, does that make sense to you? Does that mean anything to you? Well, it didn't to me. I had to do some study to find out what it's talking about there. And everything I could read on it, it talks about they separated themselves from the right way. They separated themselves from the path that's led by God's word. And folks, that's not just in the lost world. It's had a lot in at least the professing Christian world. And I think some of the people that have left that path are true Christians. They've just been deceived. They follow their sensual lusts. That means the things that, that you can feel and touch. Now, we usually put some sort of another connotation with that word sensual, but it tells me my fingers feel so I can feel this pulpit. That's sensual. But I don't, we, we need to not let ourselves be, be controlled by our sensual lusts. I remember in the 60s, the big thing was, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, be careful. They'll mock God. And boy, is that happening today. It's on every hand they're mocking God. Do you realize that I heard one governor say it, and I've heard that there were others, Democratic governors, that said they hoped the churches never reopen. But you know, there's something in the middle of this passage that we need to pay attention to. It's a three-letter word, but. We should see things differently than the world. Do you realize that this world must be judged? The one world government that's coming cannot come as long as there is a powerful, free nation that stands on its own, like America. So we should see God's hand in this. Is it something we really have pleasure in going through? No, but it's God's hand. It may not be comfortable, but it's good. We need to understand that God has to bring these things to pass. I read this wrong this morning, and it wasn't until later this afternoon, I'd already printed out my message, that I got this right. It says we should be building ourselves up on our most holy faith. And I had read that in our most holy faith. And I looked back at it. I mean, I was reading it on my computer, so I said, I need to read it in my Bible so I'm familiar with where it is. And I read it, and I said, oh, it doesn't say in, it says on. So we're to build ourselves up, standing on, the, on our, our most holy faith. Amen. Our most holy faith is what we believe. 
We need to build ourselves up and strengthen ourselves in the things of God. When pastor tells us all the time we should read our Bible in the morning and in the evening. But I would like to challenge you, those first century Christians that turned the world upside down in 25 years, couldn't do it because they didn't have one. So how much more obligated are we to build ourselves up on our most holy faith? To be strong, to understand what the Word of God says. And not just to understand what it says, but then to put it in practice. You haven't built yourself at all if you just know what it says. It's not until you put it into practice that it does anything. The Word of God is quick and powerful when we use it. I don't care how great of a soul winner you are, you can't do a thing without the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, we're tools in the Holy Spirit's hand. And how does he use us? Through his word. We should be praying in the Holy Ghost. That means our prayer should be led by the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit lead us? Most of his leading comes from this book. It's from this book that we're led by the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. You know, it talks uh, about, about the armor of God. And it lists the helmet and the breastplate and all the different parts, the belt and all this kind of stuff. But the last one on the list isn't often seen as part of the armor, but it is. Praying. I was in communications in the Army. Uh, My last assignment was an armored school, and we had those great big Abram tanks. You know, those things are totally disabled without their radio. If their radio is not working, they have to have a man walking in front of them before they can move those things. The same is true in God's army. Communications is the most important part of God's army. We talk to God through prayer. He answers us through his word. We should be keeping ourselves in God's love. When you read that, the first thing you think of, oh, I need to stay in God's love. But I looked up that word keep, and it means to have your eyes fixed on. So we're to have our eyes fixed on the love of God. When we have our eyes fixed on the love of God, the love that he has for us, it makes it so much easier to go through trials. makes it so much easier because we know that if he's allowing us to go through those trials, it's because it's best for us and best for his will. So we can have confidence if we're fixed on the fact that God loves us. And it'll also help us love others. We should be waiting for the full end of his mercy. Now, God is a merciful God. Those of us that are saved here tonight are only saved because of his mercy. But that mercy is not done yet because it won't be done until we stand on the other shore. That's the fullness of his mercy. That's the eternal life. I mean, we have eternal life now, but the life that we see is going to end if the rapture doesn't come first. Eternal life won't. Or spiritual life, but 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 the end of it is when we get on the other side, and we step into that eternal state, and we should be looking forward to that. We should be waiting for that. It, and and the closer we get to the end, the closer we are to that. It says we should have compassion. We should have compassion on some. It says, on those around us. We should have compassion on the lost. We should care enough about the lost to try and bring them to Christ, following God's precepts but bring them to Christ. Part of that, now don't misunderstand me because there's this lifestyle evangelism which is a bunch of hogwash. You've got to tell people. 
but part of it is your lifestyle. Have enough compassion for the lost world out there to live a life that's God-honoring so they could look at you and say, you've got something I want. You're different. But there should be times when people say, you're different. Are you a Christian? Now, we should also have compassion on other Christians. In this room tonight, we have mature Christians and very young Christians. And we should have compassion on all of them. Our testimony, the way we live our life and the things that we do, affect the mature Christians because if we don't do it right, it makes it harder for them to do what they're trying to do. And then for the immature Christians, it makes it harder for them to grow and become mature Christians. So compassion should cause us to live the right kind of life. And that's an important thing. It should cause us to dress right. It should cause us to talk right. It should cause us to be interested in the right things. It says making a difference. Our lives should make a difference. And it goes along with what I just said about compassion. Our lives should draw people to Christ. Our lives should, should, should make people say, there's something there. But our lives should also be different so that they show other Christians, those who haven't grown to the point we have, how they should live their lives. It's not sufficient just to dress up real nice and come to church and put on your suit and your tie and, and wear your skirts long enough and your tops high enough and stuff like this in here and then go out in the world and dress totally different. No. No. It's all the time. It's all the time. Because people are watching you. Then it says we should save others with fear. Now, folks, we don't save anybody. So we know what it's talking about here. Christ does the saving. But, but we should be instilling the fear of God in those that are lost to bring them to Christ. The old-time evangelists, the old-time preachers that got uh, people saved would dangle people over the fires of hell. We don't do that anymore. It's not popular. Well, it is with God. And who matters more? But we need to tell people who God is. We need to tell people that God is a holy God and they stand condemned before him. They don't, in the beginning, they don't need to know God loves them. What they need to know is they're in trouble and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on them. And they need to be afraid. I know that's what I was afraid of when I got saved. We should hate even the garment spotted by the flesh. And folks, that comes back again to something I've already talked about twice, just here the last couple of minutes. Our testimony should be pure. Amen. I'm going to tell you a mistake I made in France. And I can tell you that there's really nothing wrong with what I did in and of itself. But in France, everybody drinks alcohol. And we didn't. But they have a non-alcoholic beer. And I had a neighbor over one time and I was trying to pull a trick on him, and it worked. I did the same thing with my father-in-law, and it worked. And I had them drink the non-alcoholic beer, and they couldn't tell the difference. But I'm drinking it. And then I realized today, even though it was non-alcoholic, there was nothing in there that was going to harm me, nothing in it done like that, it was wrong for me to do it because it gave a bad testimony. Until I told him that it was non-alcoholic, he thought I was drinking just like he was. Here's something else we need to remember. It's all about Christ. He's the one that keeps him from falling. I mean, those people who think you can fall from grace and lose your salvation, well, I'm going to tell you something. It's up to you. You could. 
Not only that, you would. But he's the one that keeps us from falling. He's the one that presents us spotless, faultless, before his presence and glory. No, we can make it harder for him or easier for him by the way we live our lives, but he's the one that does it. He is the only wise God, and he is our only Savior. As the wise God and Savior, absolutely everything is under his control. I should say it this way. It's under his perfect control. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly why he allows the things to come that come. It's all his glory, and we deserve no credit. Thayer talks about his majesty. His majesty, that word majesty means his greatness. When the weather allows, and we like this time of the year because it does, my wife and I sit at the dining room table and we have breakfast. And after that, we go out on the patio in the back, and we have, she has her coffee and I have my tea. And we sit out there. Sometimes we talk, and sometimes we just listen to the birds sing. But we sit there and we watch, and we look at God's creation and his majesty and the greatness of him. I mean, I am totally amazed. We have a rail around our patio or deck that's planted, and it's smooth. And this little tiny bird with these little tiny feet comes and lands on that with no problem. And he also goes and lands on some little twig that wouldn't hold a toothpick and grabs a hole in that. I mean, God made a bird that can, that can sit on something flat or something round and slippery. or, or, or something. I think about those kinds of things. I asked my wife yesterday how many kinds of birds that we have in our backyard, and, and she said, oh, at least 20. And we do. We've got all kinds of birds in our backyard. Of course, she feeds them, and you know they come for the free lunch. And I look at them, and I say, wow, well, look at what that good bird can do. A humming, my thumb is bigger than the hummingbirds we have. Yet that hummingbird can fly, can walk, can refuel itself, can reproduce itself, can do all kinds of things. It can go and just stop like that and then go straight backwards, straight up, straight down, all those kinds of things. We can't build something as big as a house that can do that. But God did. The majesty of God. Look at who our God is. Uh, sometimes we do that for the patio. Sometimes we go out, we've got a bench out in the field or a swing out in the field, we've got that sound swing. And, and we don't have to talk. We just enjoy being in God's presence. It talks about his dominion. That's his sovereign authority. Now, sovereign does not mean you always get your way because the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and that doesn't happen. But what it means is you have the authority to set the rules and the authority to correct those who break the rules. Then it talks about his power. All power is his. I mean, we think these, you know, we see a, a hydrogen bomb, and I don't know what yields they have these days and those, and those horrible things. We say, we say, wow, look at the power in that. Yeah, God made the sun. And that's just a small star. The power of our God. And then it says, both now and forever. These things are eternal. And then I like that last word. Amen. That means it is established. There's no change on it. Our God is in control of the situation in this world today. He's in absolute perfect control. Let us not be controlled by fear in these difficult times. 
we should not be afraid of death. I mean, there's a virus going around that's killed a bunch of people. There's riots killing people. There's no police zones. People are dying. But that shouldn't be a fear for a Christian. What happens if they take your life? You go to a better place. You go to be with the Lord forever. Let us follow what Paul said in Romans chapter 13, 40, starting in verse 11. And that, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering, not in wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I would like to leave you with one thought. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.